Welcome to Convention Pulpit, Wesleyan Voices Past and Present, brought to you through the Ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention. Visit our website for an entire library of great sermons and more information on this ministry, www.ihconvention.com. For around 40 years now, Carl Eisenhart has pastored the Christian Nation Church near Cincinnati, Ohio. He's a wonderful man of God and a powerful preacher. He preached this sermon at the God's Bible School and College Fall Revival in 2002, and he titles it, Breaking the Noose of Prayerlessness. I know you'll enjoy this wonderful sermon. Thank you, Brother Avery, and it's a blessing to be here, and uh, really an awesome responsibility to be here. And I want to tell you right off, I know somebody that's not happy about me being here. <laughs> my wife told me today, she said, my grandson said, Grammy, why doesn't Pappy just call down there to GBS and tell him he's not coming? This is the night he sleeps over a lot of times, and uh, we enjoy one another's company, but uh, he, he'll get over that, you know, he'll get over all of that, but uh, we're glad to be here tonight. It's good to hear these testimonies and sense the presence of God on this first day of school, I guess, for some of us, amen? It's hard to believe the summer's over, isn't it? <laughs> hard to believe that time is going by so swiftly, and uh, all these things are weighing upon us now, but God is going to help us. I come into this revival knowing and believing that God wants to help us, Amen. believe that He wants to touch every one of our hearts afresh and anew, and I believe He wants to meet every need among us. Amen. Praise God. I wonder how many ministerial students are here. How many are ministerial majors? Would you stand to your feet? Amen. And while you're standing, could we have the missions majors stand? All the missions majors, thank the Lord. Well, if I had a hat tonight, I would take it off to you. But I want to thank you for responding to the ministerial call, and we're glad you're here, amen? We're trusting that God will help us together. God bless you, amen. You may be seated. Praise the Lord. 1 Samuel in your Bible, chapter 12 and verse 20. 1 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 20. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word tonight and for a word of prayer together. 1 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 20. And Samuel said unto the people, Fear not, ye have done all this wickedness, yet turn not aside from following the Lord. But serve the Lord with all your heart, and turn ye not aside, for then should ye go after vain things, which cannot profit nor deliver, for they are vain. For the Lord will not forsake His people 
for his great name's sake, because it hath pleased the Lord to make you his people. Moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, but I will teach you the good and the right way. Only fear the Lord and serve Him in truth with all your heart, for consider how great things He hath done for you. But if ye shall still do wickedly, ye shall be consumed, both ye and your King. Our Father, tonight we enter into this service looking unto Thee. We're thankful for Your help and Your continual support throughout this day. And we're glad that You've assembled us together for this service. We're thankful for Your Word tonight. And we're asking for that anointing that only You can bring and You can give. We pray that You would anoint all of us together. Anoint our ears, anoint our hearts, and and give us a grander and deepening desire for the things of God. Give us a passion and hunger and thirst after You. We're praying that You'd have right of way in everything that's said and done and in all of our lives together tonight, for we ask it in Jesus' name, and amen. You may be seated. Moreover, as for me, Samuel said, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. It is a great Christian privilege to be permitted to pray for our fellow man. Our prayers are of great value to those who are being prayed for. Intercessory prayer is also a benefit to the one praying it and is often a better channel of comfort than any other means of grace. The Lord turned again the captivity of Job when He prayed for His friends. I would to God that we all could be stirred up to a more diligent supplication by the example of Samuel in this passage of Scripture. Samuel was in the continual habit and practice of praying for Israel. He wrought many deliverances for his people by prayer. He talked to God. He spoke to the Lord. And God moved on behalf of Samuel's prayers. Samuel prayed in spite of a rebellious people. He continued to lift his heart and his soul to the throne of God. He prayed because he knew God would help the people if they would serve him. He prayed in light of the faithfulness of God. And listen, brothers and sisters, God is all always faithful and he does answer prayer he prayed in hope of bringing life in the place of death and God is about such a business as that friends I'm concerned tonight however about this strangling noose of prayerlessness that is slowly killing us as a vitally alive people for Jesus Christ in this day that we're living Real prayer and praying is all but gone from our country, schools, community, and churches. I'm afraid we've been gripped and choked by what we're calling a strangling noose of prayerlessness. One of the main reasons we're not praying the way we need to isn't because we don't have time. Oftentimes it is because we just simply don't take time to pray. We are living in an ever-increasing day of impatience. It seems like everybody's impatient today. We are so used to fast service. We want everything and we want it now. I mean, if you drive up to McDonald's, brother, and there's two cars in front of you, you want them cleared out and you want to get it and be on the move. 
Not only do we have fast drive through but even in our day on the other coast, uh, why you can drive up uh, and view the layout of somebody that's going to have a funeral the next day, just like driving through a bank. Uh, we just want everything fast. Ten-minute oil changes. Microwave meals, we don't want to take time to be holy. We use our prayer times for real quick pit stops in this race uh, that we may fall short in because we don't take time to speak often with our Lord. I believe there will be no revival in our day or in our churches or schools uh, unless we will wait upon God afresh and anew just like they did in old times. Uh, we must do now because it is God's plan and will. But I'm afraid that too many times we are as impatient in prayer as some individuals are when they're seated in, in the traffic line, you know, and the light turns green. And if you don't slam on the gas and pull out, somebody's blowing the horn behind you. Years ago, deep sea divers used to go overboard in a diving suit with a big air, t a big air helmet over their head and an airline and, and the hose was uh, hooked to the diving apparatus upon that diver's head. Air was pumped to the diver through a hose. If anything happened to, to the hose uh, or crinked the hose or, or throttled the hose, uh, the diver would lose air and eventually would suffocate. And I believe Satan is doing that in these days uh, by daily and, and daily troubling the church and doing everything he can to keep the people of the church and the ministry from spending time in prayer. He has placed a strangling noose of prayerlessness around many of our necks and he wants to tighten it and take the air of heaven out of our souls. A number of years ago, a young ministerial student here at God's Bible School came to me, Brother Avery, and he looked me square in the eye and he said, Brother Eisenhart, how long, how much time do you spend in prayer? Well, now that's a question, isn't it? How would you like to be just asked right to your face, how much time do you spend in prayer? What did I answer that young man? I can't, oh, I can't remember exactly what I told him. But I do remember this. We talked about prayer. We talked about times in prayer. How much time I spend. How much time he spent. But I look back now and the answer that I should have gave him, Brother Wolf, was probably not enough time. Not enough time. Many times the depths of blessing and the amount of blessing in our life is in the exact proportion to the time we spend in prayer. Something has to be done, I believe, to break this strangling noose of prayerlessness that is killing the people of God. How can we break this noose of prayerlessness? I would like to first suggest by recognizing this, that it is sinfulness, it is sinful to be prayerless. Samuel counted it as a sin if he didn't pray for the people. We don't count our prayerlessness, sin. We make excuse for it. The devil will say, if you confess this, everyone will lose confidence in you. But not to be praying fervently is sin. We have lost all guilt over our own prayerlessness. And then we have no conviction about prayer in our lives. We are easily satisfied with a hurried five minutes of prayer. Justify ourselves by saying, I'm so busy. Many have no heart's desire for prayer. Many can't even pray for one half hour. No time. It's not that many don't pray at all. 
It's just that they have no joy in prayer. Prayer isn't the desire of their heart. I don't know how many of you read of John Fletcher. I love to read after John Fletcher. And I read an account of John Fletcher. He was a pastor in Wales who was contemporary with John Wesley. And John Wesley had his funeral. And he said he was the man that was most like Christ that lived on the earth that he had ever met. One time Fletcher had an appointment and he was in a certain building and there was a young man with him and Fletcher had to be at this appointment in a half hour but he wanted to spend that half hour in prayer so he went into this little room and this little room had a door and a small glass and he went in there and got on his knees but before he went in he told the young man, he said, listen, you come by in a half hour and knock on the door and come and get me so I don't miss my appointment. Fletcher went in and began to pray. That young man came up to the door and he looked in the window and he went to tap on the window. And there he saw John Fletcher on his knees with his hands stretched heavenward and tears running down his face and the shine of God on him. And he couldn't knock on a door and he backed away. He went another 15 minutes and there was Fletcher still with his hands up and tears streaming down. Another half hour went by and he thought, I must interrupt this man. He's late for his appointment. He went and he finally knocked on the door. And he said, when I knocked on the door and just opened the door up, Fletcher lifted his hands, brought his hands down and turned and looked at me. And he said, is it time already? If a friend comes to visit, we can talk for a half hour easy, can't we? Amen? Friends, prayerlessness means, for the most part, that our lives are still under the power of the flesh. Do you know why people won't raise early to pray? It's because they're their own boss. We should be up before the sun comes up and head for prayer. You say, you don't know what my schedule is. Well, listen, friend, you may work night shift, but there ought to be times that we set aside for God in prayer. Amen. Too many of us come and go and don't settle in and seek God and seek His face. Amen. We work too much after the flesh and not enough after the Spirit. <laughs> Too many individuals on the Lord's Day don't even spend enough time in prayer. You know, the average church attender on Saturday night stays up probably too late, and then they sleep in till about 8.30 on Sunday morning, and they make their way to the house of the Lord, and they just slide in by 9.30, and they're there for 10.30 service and have a wonderful time and go home and eat something and take a nap and get up about 5 o'clock and eat a piece of pie and then go to church and have another service and lay down and say a small prayer in the evening and say, wow, we had a wonderful Lord's Day. When John Fletcher first started pastoring in Wales, it was a coal mining town. And as he laid in bed one morning, the opening days of his pastorate, he heard voices out in the street outside of his, his bedroom. And he looked out and it was just a little before four in the morning. And there were miners already going to work, making their way to the mines. And Fletcher said, the Lord spoke to him and said, Son, you need to be up. 
You need to be up before any of your parishioners go to work. You need to be up before that one is up. That's the earliest riser in your church. You need to be up and praying and asking God to bless and protect them and keep His hand upon them. Fletcher said, I immediately slipped out of bed and prayed and sought God for them. Amen. (laughs) If we would confess our prayerlessness, and really do something about it. I believe it could change the course of everyone here and bring new revival and enthusiasm for the Lord to all of us. Friend, have you ever taken inventory of your time and see if you can't find more time to pray? You say, man, don't you understand the schedule that I have? Hmm. Well, yeah, I understand your schedule. I was here once. (laughs) Everybody okay? Hey, man, there's no stairs here. Wow, where did they go? Boy, that's a long drop off. They just jump, all right. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) The schedule, time. Amen. How are you going to fit any more time in to pray? Let me just say something to you. And I'm not bragging, I'm just giving you facts. When I was here at God's Bible School... There were several semesters that I had 17 hours of classes. I was working up on a farm in Indian Hill, brother, not too far from where you worked on a farm in Indian Hill. Was working on that farm, running a 200-acre equestrian ranch, working 65 to 70 hours a week and pastoring full-time. Man, oh man. I caught myself coming and going. I wasn't burning the candle at two ends. I was burning the candle all over. Amen. And I can remember being here at God's Bible School. And I can remember Brother Avery numbers of times as I'd be coming down the road and praying all the way to school in the car. And I would think, oh man, I can't wait. I just can't wait till I get full time in the ministry. I just can't wait till I can get away from school and, and get all that behind me and get away from this farm and get full time in the ministry. Then I'll have time to seek God. I'll have time to pray. You know something, friend, it's harder now to carve out time to pray than it was when I was in Bible school. And if you think it's going to get easier, friend, it won't get easier. There will be always a strangling noose of prayerlessness that will try to take us down. And we must take time now to be holy. Amen. If you can carve out little segments of extra time to pray, I know this, it will benefit your soul greatly. It will help your education greatly. It will help Brother Avery greatly. It will help the the staff and faculty here greatly. It will all take time to be holy in the times that we have for God and carve out more time if we can. Robert Murray McShane wrote to the church at Dundee during his last illness and said, You have hindered God's work by your lack of prayer. When God gives grace to souls, it is an answer to the prayers of His children. When God puts it into the hearts of His children to pray, it is certain that He is going to pour down His Spirit in abundance. The salvation of those around you depends upon your asking. I often think, he said, It's strange that we should be in heaven and so many in hell through our soul destruction destroying carelessness in not praying as we ought. Plead and wrestle with God, showing Him that the cause is His own and that it is all for His glory to arise and have mercy upon Zion. 
I think of the revival text over there in Chronicles where it says, humble yourself and pray. We can humble ourselves by confessing, if it is our lot, our sin of prayerlessness. It has been said only the prayerless are too proud to own up to the prayerlessness that's in their life. Friends, brothers and sisters, are we really praying like we ought to be praying in this hour? Let me ask the staff and faculty of this school, are we praying like we ought to in this hour? You can ask me that question, am I praying? Friend, we need to be praying. We need to be seeking God. To break this strangling noose of prayerlessness, (laughs) we don't need to read another book on prayer. We need to pray. We simply need to pray. Whenever we read of the great men of prayer, like David Brainerd, John Wesley, Praying Hyde, George Mueller, we are never, ever left with the feeling that these men considered themselves great men of prayer or even men who have felt like they have prayed enough. No, sir, they often confess their need of more and fervent prayer, yet these men had power with God to move the hand of God. Many times like we're not seeing in our day. There's an account in the autobiography of Adam Clark, and it's a a wonderful book to read, his own autobiography. There's an account when him and John Wesley and another man, I'm not sure who it was, they were on a a sailing vessel. They were down in the bottom of that sailing vessel, and uh, Clark and and another man went up on the deck. And the captain came over and said, Men, there's no wind. There's no wind. The ship is not moving. And Adam Clark knew that they had preaching engagements that evening. They had six hours uh, to make this trip, and they needed wind in the sails. Adam Clark said in his autobiography, I and the other brother, we went down to where Mr. Wesley was, and Mr. Wesley was seated in a chair, and he had his glasses on, and he was writing, had his Bible on a table, and they told Mr. Wesley about the need of wind in the sails. Mr. Wesley took his glasses off, laid his writing down, and said, Brethren, We'll pray. Adam Clark is writing now in his autobiography. They all kneel down. They start to pray. It's a concert of prayer, three men. Adam Clark said we prayed for a while. And then Adam Clark writes and he said all of a sudden while we were praying, John Wesley's heart started to raise heavenward. And he said, oh God, you hold lightning bolts in your fist and you command the wind and the waves and there's nothing too small for thee. And he said, you can put wind in the sails and we're asking you to do it now. We have an appointment, an engagement for you and we're on a trip for you. And he said, in Jesus' name, amen. Adam Clark said, Wesley got off of his knees, sat down in a chair put his glasses back on, and began writing. Adam Clark said, I couldn't take it any longer. I'm paraphrasing here now, but he said, I couldn't take it, and the other brother couldn't take it, and we just wanted to see if the wind was blowing. (laughs) So we made our way up on the deck, and as soon as we got on the deck, 
there we saw the sails in full, full array. The wind was blowing through them and the ship was marching on. You say, why mention that? Well, because God answered their fervent prayer. But also, you can read the same account in John Wesley's writings. John Wesley writes of the exact same account. And here's what he says about it. We had a certain destination to meet or to make in a certain amount of time. There was no wind in the sails. The brethren, Adam Clark and another man and I, knelt down in prayer and God answered prayer. That had been a lot of us. We'd been writing a book about prayer. We'd figure we was a great expert on prayer. We'll have it all figured out. You say, what are you saying? Whenever you read about these men like Wesley, you never were left under the impression that they were making themselves out to be great men of prayer. Everything will be thrown at you and I to keep us from praying, friends. Listen, friends, God's call to, to much prayer doesn't need to be a burden to us uh, and a cause uh, of continual self-condemnation. He wants us to pray and He will help us to pray and give us strength to pray. But we must pray. Yes, in order to break the strangling noose of prayerlessness, we'll need to see and recognize and confess its sinfulness. Second, I believe we will need to recognize our shallowness because of prayerlessness. Most of our praying today is mere personal maintenance rather than marching type prayer. Holding the fort type praying rather than storming the strongholds of Satan and extracting blessings from the glory world. A somewhat baby type praying rather than a battle type praying. We will use all of our strength on everything else but prayer. And I know this. Most of us in this building are fairly strong when we have to be about certain things. The curse in our day is that men cling to God with their weakness rather than their strength. One writer said, we must not banish the strength of our wills from our praying. It is His will, God's will, His will of grace that prayer should prevail with Him and extract blessings from the throne above. Dr. P.T. Forsythe in the early 1900s said this, that all of our forms and view of religion have their test in prayer. Lose the importunity of prayer, reduce it to mere talk or even conversation with God, lose the real conflict of will and will, lose the habit of wrestling and the hope of prevailing with God, make it mere walking with God in friendly talk, and precious as that is, you tend to lose the reality of prayer at last, he says. He goes on to say, in principle, you make it mere conversation instead of the soul's great action. You lose the food of character and the renewal of will. You may have beautiful prayers, but as ineffectual as beauty so often is and as so fleeting. And so in the end, you lose the reality of religion. Redemption turns down into, into mere revelation, faith to ascend, and devotion to a phase of culture. For you lose the power of the cross and the power of the soul. Friends, there's much shallowness in our day because we've had too many any little talks with Jesus and God is wanting us to pray with all of our heart, mind, soul and strength. Give ourselves to prayer. 
give ourselves to prayer. Shallow living, wrestling with bad attitudes, falling prey to temptations, falling into self-pity and self-defense, and just plain spiritual struggle all the time because we don't take time to wait on God. Friends, the great battles in war on the sea are never fought by those seagoing vessels in shallow ground or shallow water. They get out to where the water runs deep. Why is that? Because when they use those big cannons and those big guns, it rocks the boat. And if they were in shallow water, it would tear the hull up. Many a Christian just prays enough to keep his own head above water, so to speak. More defensive praying Seeking to ward off temptation than aggressive reaching out after higher attainment. Lack of praying produces shallow living. I'm afraid too many times we want a quick fix for our shallow prayer lives. Amen. We, we have problems in our homes, in our schools, in our jobs, uh, with certain people and even with the church. Uh, and we are so used to just taking a pill to ease the pain or maybe run to some sympathizing counselor for a quick answer or another pill. We refuse to go to prayer by our own conditioning to the easy way out. We want it easy. And God wants us to wait on Him and look to Him for the answers. Listen, God will answer prayer. Many of you have testified to that. And God wants to take us deeper into prayer. Just look what happens to people that stop working. You know what happens to them. Lethargy sets in. It's not long and they swell up and die. But you and I, friend, ought to continue to work at this labor of prayer. What happens when we work hard? Better health, more blessings, and longer life. The same is true in prayer. We must give ourselves to prayer and seeking God. And we'll have a better spiritual life, a deeper spiritual life, and a more effective life for Him. Hallelujah. Amen. If we pray, answers will come. Problems will be solved. Mountains will look like molehills that we can crush under our feet. (laughs) You're going to have to pray to get through this. I'm not talking about this preaching. You'll have to pray to get through that. You're going to have to pray to get through school, to get through college. Man, you're going to have to pray to get through Dr. Brown's Greek class. You're going to really have to pray to get through that. Hey, man. <laughs> I can remember Brother Avery when I lived on that farm and I took Greek here at God's Bible School. And we were supposed to spend three hours outside of class for every hour we had in class. Well, that meant nine hours. I thought, man, how am I going to do that with everything else? Well, what did you do? You stayed up all night a lot of times with no sleep. I can remember I had a real sophisticated office out there on that farm at Indian Hill. It was our bedroom. (laughs) The bed was here, my desk was here, and I was surrounded with books. (laughs) And lots of nights I can remember turning the lamp on and opening up the Greek book, and sitting there and doing the translation. When I can remember numbers of times when I would look down and nothing was happening. Nothing was coming. And I would sit there and I would think, I'm going to blow this. I'm not going to get an A. I wasn't messing around. I wasn't going for a D or a C. I was shooting for the top, for an A. 
Amen, ministerial brethren, an A. An A. 4 0. That's right. I wasn't fooling around. I was here on business for God. And I can remember one night, I was seated there with that lamp on. I looked over. My wife was asleep and nothing was happening. I had all this Greek to do and all this work to do and messages to prepare for Sunday. And I just said, Lord, I, I can't go any farther. And I just slumped down in a chair and I started to cry. Brother Brown, I started to call on God. I just started to weep before the Lord. I said, Lord, I don't want to fail Greek. I don't want to give up. I want to make it. Will you help me? And you know what happened? God started to inspire my soul. All of a sudden, I sensed his presence and I got back up in a chair and I started in again. <laughs> and it started to come. It started to happen. But God sustained us. And listen, friend, for you and I to make it through school, to make it through life, to be the Christian God wants us to be, we must pray and not live a shallow life. We must call on God. Too many times people want a quick fix because we've been conditioned to the easy way out. Easy way out. Yes, prayer can be hard work, but all oh, the blessings that attend hard work, thank God. Yes, answers will come, problems will be solved, and God will take us through. How can we break the strangling noose of prayerlessness? Let me give you one more thing. By recognizing its stalling and stopping power in Christian advancement. Just as we pray, will we be successful in Christian advancement? Prayerlessness stalls the power of the church. It's just like, I don't know how to describe it. Maybe perhaps when you first start up that lawnmower and it takes in air and you stick your hand down over the carburetor and you cut that airflow off, it stalls out, it stops. Things aren't going to advance the way they should unless we pray as we should. If I ask you to raise your hands on how many have ever heard of Charles Finney, probably most everybody in this room heard of Charles Finney. We've read his revival lectures. We've heard about him preaching. We've read about how many souls he's won. But how many have ever heard of two men by the name of Clary and Nash? Two men by the name of Clary and Nash. <laughs> Some of you have. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Clary and Nash, you know the story. They would go into a town before John or before Charles Finney would ever get there. They would oftentimes rent a little building, not to have services in, but to have a prayer meeting in. Oftentimes, Clary and Nash would play for 30 or 40 days before Charles Finney ever arrived on the scene. No wonder God came. You can't read anywhere where Charles Finney took the credit. Talked about Clary at Nash. We think of men like Spurgeon. I love to study his sermon outlines. I love to read after Spurgeon. That great English preacher. You remember the story of the two young men that came to his came to his cathedral one night to hear him preach, and he met them out on the steps. Uh, they were two young ministers. And right after they were introduced to Spurgeon, Spurgeon said to those two men, he said, young men, would you, love this, would you like to see our heating apparatus for this building? They said, well, sure. Spurgeon started to walk down a set of stairs. Those two young men looked at one another and thought, man, why is he wanting to show us the heating apparatus? It's July. 
they got down to the basement area of the church. And Spurgeon opened up a door that opened up into a big room and he said, brethren, here's our heating apparatus. And there were 700 men on their knees praying for the service that was about to start in a half hour. No wonder when Spurgeon came out or when people came out after hearing Spurgeon, they would often say as they walked down over the steps, oh, don't we have a beautiful Christ? Other men would come and they would say, my, that was a great preacher. But when Spurgeon spoke, they said, Jesus is beautiful. Friends, we need to be praying. Amen, we need to be praying. I don't know what the schedule is around here this week, but we need to be praying. Amen. Teachers, we need to take some time with the students this week. And when we have prayer requests, uh, let's just drop down on our knees and, and pray the whole class through. It'll be all right once in a while. Amen. Just let God have his way. You see, without much prayer, the church will cease to be. Christian growth will stop. No souls will be saved here if we don't pray as we ought. There'll be no revival without prayer. Oh, I can almost hear somebody say, well, God's sovereign. He'll do what he wants. Yes, God will. And God's ordained that you and I pray, friend. It's his ordaining. Oh, we may have buildings of people and a form of worship, but without prayer, there'll be no power and no lasting results for the kingdom. What must we do? What must we do tonight? What must we do? Let me give you the answer. You already know it. Pray. 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 Pray without ceasing. Don't say, I can't pray. I'm not in the Spirit. Pray till you're in the Spirit. Friends, to, to learn to pray with freedom. Force yourself to pray. Yes, talk to God. Speak to the Lord. Let Him give you liberty before Him. Amen. <laughs> I remember hearing about a fellow that came here to God's Bible school back in the 70s. They were having a prayer meeting in one of the classrooms, Brother Avery. And uh, it was early morning prayer meeting. And this fellow made his way into that prayer meeting for the first time. Never been at a prayer meeting at God's Bible school before. He'd been in prayer meetings before. But when he got there, there was a few people already praying, perhaps a half a dozen at least they were in the posture of prayer. You know what the posture of prayer is, don't you, for a lot of individuals? It's like this. Uh, everybody okay? Just kind of like a sack of beans hanging over a chair, over the altar. No movement, no life. And this brother wasn't used to that. <laughs> and he stepped into that prayer meeting and he started to walk around. And he started to pray, and he said, oh, God. He said, I'm not used to prayer meetings like this. He said, as a matter of fact, Lord, I, I, where I pray, everybody prays out. And he said, Lord, I don't want to stand out. He said, I don't want to be a spectacle. So, Lord, would you help these brethren to pray and to lift their voices heavenward? Well, the brother that was telling me this said, it wasn't long, and the brethren started to lift their voices heavenward and started to pray. You say, what are you saying, Brother Eisenhardt? I'm saying we need to give ourselves to prayer, friend. We need to lift our voices up in concert to Almighty God. We ought to make the rafters of this place ring with prayer, and we would seek God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Give him your strength. Give him your strength. Don't waste it all in the things of, of fun and games. Give him your strength and prayer. God will reward you openly, friend. Amen. Yes, 
What must we do to break the strangling noose of prayerlessness that's uh, around so many necks uh, and around our neck and the enemy trying to ruin it? Let's recognize prayerlessness as sin. Recognize, uh, recognize uh, that it leads to and is shallowness. Recognize prayerlessness also stalls and stops the power of Christian advancement. And once we recognize all this, then it's time to pray. It's time to pray by confession. It's time to pray by all means pray. You know what God said, don't you? Call upon me and I would answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not of. Amen. God forbid that we should not pray. This is a beautiful altar down here, isn't it? It's wonderful. But this altar will be a whole lot better if all the tissues are used up. And there's tear stains on, whether they be tear stains of repentance or seeking holiness or praying for God's power and glory or tears of, of, of seeking God for revival. It will look a whole lot better if we'll seek God together. Friends, why don't we covet together? You know what the word of the Lord says, if just two would agree on earth as touching any one thing that they ask, what would happen? God would answer prayer, amen. Could we agree? Did you use all your strength today? Do you have any strength left? Do you have any air left? Do you have any voice left? Do you have any desire left for God? Would you like to gather for prayer this evening? The heritage of holiness that has been passed on. I don't want to lose the fire. Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention, featuring Wesleyan voices past and present. For more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. You may give online at ihconvention.com or send your donation to IHC, Post Office Box 99, New Berlin, Pennsylvania, 17855 USA.